0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night series. We're starting right now on the last days. We're gonna be talking about the last days. And uh, tonight's gonna be just kind of a primer. We're going to look at uh, just the basic definition of last days and uh, track it a little bit in the Bible. But as I shared with you Sunday um, and on my blog, I'm going to be pulling the phrase, last days, latter times, last hour, Latter Days, uh, the various phrases that essentially mean the same thing. Everywhere it's found in the New Testament, and I'm going to look at the context, and I'm going to teach uh, what, the, what the author, what actually God is telling us um, in that particular um, passage. So we're going to look at, um, you know, Second Timothy, 1 Timothy, First uh, Peter, uh, the book of Hebrews, all the places where Last Days is mentioned. Now, I want you to grab your Bibles, please do, because uh, I want you to follow along with me and don't just listen to what I quote, but look it up for yourself and mark it, make some notes, uh, because folks, uh, we're living in the last days, I believe, and the more we understand, uh, the better off we're going to be, and the less nervous we're going to be, the less fearful we're going to be, because ultimately God has everything under control. So, Here we go. First of all, when talking about the last days, we need to remember that the New Testament Bible writers considered themselves to already be in the last days. So the last days is not just talking about the end of time or the period of time right before Jesus' return, but it's really going all the way back to the first century. Let, Let me give you a couple of examples. First Peter chapter one and verse 20. Peter writes, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. in that amazing Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The Bible is a mind blower, but he goes on, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. So Peter says, when Jesus appeared, that kicked into motion. The last times Hebrews chapter one, the first two verses The writer says, God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we're in the last times. So he he is, of course, all the way back in the first century. So here's, Peter, and now the writer of Hebrews, who I believe was Paul, uh, saying, we're in the last times. So we see that the phrase last days does not necessarily point to that time just before Christ's return, but it reaches back to the first century and to the time of Christ. So we've been in the last times, folks, a long time. Let me read a few more passages on the last days, having begun in the time of the early church. Uh, John writes in 1 John 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. So there's that phrase again. And in Peter's amazing Pentecost sermon, he quotes the prophet Joel. And here it is, quote, and in the last days, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I notice he says, and in the last days, it shall be. So Peter was telling the Pentecost, the Pentecost crowd. This is that, this is what Joel prophesied of. The last days have begun. Uh, the last days are here. Here we are. The last days have been ignited. So Peter, the writer of Hebrews, uh, we're going to see Paul in a moment, uh, all considered themselves to be in the beginning of the last days. <clears throat> now, the last days are defined simply as the continuous period of time from the ministry of Jesus to the second coming. Now, let me read that again. The last days are defined as the continuous period of time from the ministry of Jesus all the way to the second coming. Uh, Mankind has been living in the last days for 20 centuries and some change. So that's a long time. And so in understanding the Bible, it's helpful to think of the Old Testament as the age of promise, because the Old Testament is the first place we read about the last days. Uh, as we just quoted from Joel, Joel said in the last days, uh, so on and so forth. So in understanding the Bible, it's helpful to think of the Old Testament this way. The Old Testament shows us the age of promise and the New Testament is the age of fulfillment. Uh, the Old Testament is full of the promises of God in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, which uh, is the John three sixteen of the Old Testament. God promised to send a redeemer who would bruise the enemy's head. And so God promised his people also a Messiah who would establish and rule over his kingdom. That was the promise. If you want to know what the Old Testament's all about, in a nutshell, it is God's promise to send a redeemer and then the working out of that promise, starting in Genesis 12, verse one, with the call of Abram. And when God called Abram and then a little bit later uh, cut the Abrahamic covenant with him and said, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That was the promise of a redeemer, that through the redeemer that would come through Abraham's loins, uh, there would be a blesser of the entire earth, that the entire earth would be blessed by this redeemer. And of course, uh, that includes you and me, all of us Gentiles. So think of it this way when you read your Old Testament. No matter where you are in it, it is about Jesus. Every Old Testament book, you can find Jesus in it. Doesn't matter. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If you want to go to Job, go to the Psalms. Of course, go to the prophets. Go anywhere in it. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Go all through it. Jesus is the primary overarching subject and focus of the Old Testament, but it's the promise of Jesus, the promise of a Redeemer. So our Old Testament is the age of of promise. When Jesus came and uh, John the Baptist, you know, pointed to him and said, behold the Lamb of God and the Lord Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove and All that we know went down there in the New Testament account of the baptism of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, was buried in a rich man's tomb. He rose from the dead on the third day. That's all the fulfillment of what was promised in the Old Testament. So again, with the coming of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, we have the fulfillment of what the Old Testament Promise. God fulfilled his promise of a redeemer, a savior and a king that would continue the throne of David forever, which had been one of the promises that God made to David. And we call that the Davidic covenant. Now, stay with me. You remember that when the angel Gabriel uh, appeared to Mary, he made mention of David's throne and how Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. Let me read it to you. Luke 1, verses 31 to 33. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, catch this now, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now that matters because the promises of God are being fulfilled in these last days. And that's just one example. God had promised David in the Old Testament, um, your son, now he was talking about Jesus, is going to continue your throne forever. Well, the only person that can continue a throne forever, a kingdom forever, is a divine being. So God was pointing to Jesus Christ continuing the throne of David so that it went on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that was one of God's covenant promises, and it was fulfilled in Jesus. So in the Old Testament, we have the promises of God. In the New Testament, we have the fulfillment of those promises, and they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, theologians call the time period we're in right now the already. Okay. The already, uh, it has already dawned the fulfillment has begun. We are in the last days, but they also call it the not yet. So we are in the already, but not yet the fullness of everything. God promised has not yet been finalized or completed because we still have the second coming of Christ. We still have the millennial kingdom. There are many things promised in the old Testament that are not yet fulfilled, but there are also myriad promises that have been fulfilled. So isn't it exciting to know that in the Old Testament you were in the era or the age of the promises of God. In the New Testament, we're in the fulfillment of the promises, and that's exciting. Now, here's the question that you're wondering and I'm wondering. Are we in the last of the last days? We understand that we're in the last days, but are we in, the last of the last days. Now, I wanna try to deal with that uh, just on a surface level tonight, and we're gonna get into it way more next time. But let's just go slow, because I want us to be sure to get this and really let it soak down into our spirits and come to an understanding, because um, this is very, very important. You know, we wanna be ready for the coming of Jesus. We wanna understand the teaching of the Bible. We wanna understand how it's put together. We wanna understand how to read it, how to interpret it. So are we in the last of the last days? Are are we looking at the soon coming of Jesus? Because they sure weren't in the first century. Uh, No, they had 20 centuries from then. We're still waiting for his return. So they believed it and they died believing that uh, his coming was imminent, but it hasn't happened yet. So are we in the last of the last days? Well, let me answer that. Many of the general signs Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 are happening all around us with increasing frequency. You remember, Jesus was in the great temple uh, for the last time. He and the disciples walked out. He had a short time left on this planet before they crucified him. And so they're leaving the temple for the last time. The disciples are marveling at the beauty of the temple. It was a glorious structure. It was one of the wonders of the world. And they were saying, look, Lord, at this. Is this not a stupendous uh, building? Isn't this amazing? And Jesus made his uh, incredible, breathtaking statement of, I tell you truly, the day is coming when not one stone will be left upon another, but all will be torn down. Well, this blew them away. And they said, Jesus when will these things be? And while we're at it, what will be the, the, the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, in Matthew 24, Jesus is answering those three questions. In Luke 21, he's answering them. And in Mark 13, he's answering them. And they were general signs at first. The Lord predicted widespread spiritual deception from false Christs, false prophets, and false teachers. And I might add here, that when he talked about famines and earthquakes and all the various general signs that would precede his return, he only mentioned them one time, but he mentioned deception four times. He warned about spiritual deception four times in Matthew 24, four times. So when you take it in the balances and look at what was most on Jesus' heart, the very first thing he said to them when they said, what will be the sign of your coming? The very first thing he said, beware lest any man deceive you. And then he went on three more times in the same chapter, talking about false Christ, false prophets, false teachers, deception. And so we need to take note that uh, foremost on our Lord's mind regarding the last days was the danger of deception. He said, it's gonna be so prevalent. And, And I'm talking about deception in the church, not just worldly philosophical deception like new age religions or some, uh, you know, some false philosophy, uh, that it, Buddhism or whatever that isn't gonna save anybody, but heavy deception infiltrating the church where the wheat is growing up next to the tares. The tares are growing up right next to the wheat and they look exactly the same until they are full grown. All the time in Jesus' teachings, He warned of deception. So I just want to point that out before we move on. He said there would be chronic wars and rumors of war. He said nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he also predicted global famines, plagues, global plagues (coughs) called uh, pestilences, and earthquakes in many different places. He further predicted fierce persecution betrayals on behalf of loved ones. Those in your own household would betray you to save their own skin in the last days. And, and this one, lawlessness. Man, are we saying lawlessness now or what? Lawlessness is when there is no law. People do not accept th- there's law. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a Greek word that literally means no law. I don't honor the laws of God. I don't honor the laws of man. I am lawless. And that really is the the core of Satan, the satanic nature. Satan is lawless. He is, and the antichrist is called the lawless one. But Jesus predicted in the last days, because the love of many grows cold, there's going to be runaway lawlessness. Look at the riots in our streets. Look at the the burning of buildings. Look at the way people are talking to uh, policemen. Look at the way uh they are uh, uh cursing them and and uh blaspheming god and and uh blaspheming the name of Christ and no fear of law no fear of authority no fear of consequences Jesus talked about that day he warned about it when they said what will be the sign of your coming lord and of the end of the age but now i believe the key sign that we are in the last days the last of the last days is the 1948 rebirth of Israel as a nation. Now, perk up and listen to this because uh, this was one of the most amazing fulfillments of Bible prophecy in modern times, if not the most amazing. The rebirth of Israel as an independent nation in 1948 is one of the most significant events in world history. Never before, folks, has an entire race of people been without a homeland for so long without permanently assimilating into surrounding populations. Let's remember in 70 AD, per the prediction of Jesus, the Roman soldiers, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. They laid siege to it. They starved the Jewish people on the inside. They kept pushing and pushing and pushing until finally they penetrated the walls, stormed the city. As Jesus said, they tore the temple down There wasn't one stone left upon another. Over a million Jews were slaughtered. It was a horrible, horrible time uh, in Jewish history, but it was all because they had rejected Messiah and brought upon themselves the judgment of God. Now, when that happened, the, the, the surviving Jews were scattered. It's called the diaspora to the four corners of the world. They lost their homeland. They lost everything and they were scattered everywhere. And they were scattered, get this now, for 20 centuries. 2,000 years, the Jewish people inhabited other lands. But here's the miracle, they weren't assimilated. They didn't call it their home. Uh, they were in a city or in towns or in a nation, but they never saw the nation as their home. As a matter of fact, everywhere they went, they were persecuted, they were maligned, they were mocked. Uh, they experienced nothing but trouble. And so the miracle of the Jewish people is, A, they survived, but B, they weren't assimilated into the surrounding nations. They, they didn't just say, well, we're home and that's it, and uh, uh, we feel great here and we love it here. That didn't happen. They were not assimilated. Uh, in just 100 years, now, as, as time went on, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but as time went on, the Jews uh, around the world began to have... Uh, an inexplicable desire to return to the land of Israel. People would say to them, why are you going back to Israel? And they would say, I don't know, I don't know. I just, something in me is calling me back. I, I want to go back to my ancient homeland. Uh, different nations, uh, you know, they had Jewish scientists, they had Jewish, you know, the Jews have always been uh, very brilliant people. Uh, Germany, for example, before Hitler, they were losing Jewish people, and they called it the brain drain. They were losing so many Jews, brilliant Jews, doctors, uh, scientists, uh, entrepreneurs, I mean, you name it. And when they began to return to Israel, in just a 100 years, the Jewish population of Israel rose an amazing 7,700%. 7, 7,700%. 7, Now, why this mass immigration to Israel? Well, it's a fulfillment of prophecies which said that God would take his people from all the nations and bring them back into their own land. This was the miracle. Why are you going back to Israel? I don't know. It's in my heart. I don't know. I just have a desire. Well, it was a God sent desire and it was a fulfillment of prophecy. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel predicted. Quote, this is God speaking through Ezekiel. Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, the diaspora, the scattering, and I will bring them back into their own land. That's what God said. That's Ezekiel 37, verse 21. Is that not amazing? Uh, In the 20th and 21st centuries, Jews have come to Israel from all over the world. From wherever they've been scattered among the nations, they began to return. A little bit of history, the first wave of immigration started in 1882, and it particularly involved Jews from Russia and Romania. They began to lose these brilliant people. They began to return to Israel. Then in 1915, there were just 83,000 Jews in Palestine. That's not very many at all. That's nothing. But this increased to over 6.2 million Jews in 2015. Think about that. In just a few short years, they went from 83,000 Jews in Palestine to 6.2 million, resulting in an amazing 7,400% increase. In comparison, over the same period, the UK, the population of the UK, increased 55%. Compare the increase of 55% population growth to 7,400%. And you have an idea of how quickly the Jews were returning to their homeland. Why this return? Because it's an end time sign to the nations that God is about to intervene in world affairs. Listen, the crown jewel of Bible prophecy is Israel. Watch Israel. Watch what happens in Israel. Watch everything the news uh, tells us about Israel. Now, don't believe everything they say, but watch the key events. Uh, when Donald Trump recently made Jerusalem the capital, that was huge. That was gigantic. That was biblical fulfillment, prophetic fulfillment. And that's something every Christian ought to have been watching and marveling at because that was Bible prophecy fulfilled. Now, equally amazing is the fact that the nation of Israel was born in a day, which is exactly what Isaiah predicted. Listen to this. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? And he's pointing to the a way that Israel would be born again as a nation. Not born again spiritually, but rebirth as a nation. And that's what happened. They were declared a nation on May 14th, 1948. Uh, and they, it happened in a day. In a day, they were declared a nation. As Isaiah predicted in a day, they became a nation again, total fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Again, Israel is the crown jewel of Bible prophecy. Uh, You want to keep your pulse on Bible prophecy? Watch Israel. Um, Now further, God has supernaturally protected Israel since her rebirth as a nation, which was also prophetic fulfillment. Listen to what the Bible prophets promised and predicted about Israel. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Isaiah 54, verse 15 and 17. That was God's promise. I'm not gonna promise you're not gonna be attacked, but I am gonna promise none of it's gonna prosper. None of it's going to succeed. Here's another one, Zechariah 2, verse five. I will be a a wall of fire around her, talking about Israel. He who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of my eye." So God again promised that he would protect Israel no matter what. Well, did the promises come true? Did the prophecies come true? Yes. In 1967, just a few years after they had been declared a nation again, the armies of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and later Iraq, attacked Israel all together with the goal of, quote, wiping Israel off the map. That was their stated intent. But you know what? It was only a six-day war. Israel defeated the attack in six days, even though the Arab armies had huge superiority in armor, aircraft, and troops. After the war, Israel held the Sinai, the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and all of Jerusalem. So, what looked like an overwhelming defeat uh, against all odds. God was watching over the nation of Israel. It was fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Once they were reborn as a nation, God said, you're the apple of my eye. You're going to be attacked from all around, but it will not succeed. It happened again in 1973. Egypt and Syria launched a coordinated attack on Israel in an attempt to win back Territory lost in the Six-Day War. They tried to get some of the land back that they lost in that terrible defeat. But Iraqi forces soon joined the war, and Syria received support from Jordan. So again, overwhelming odds. The Arab armies used up-to-date Soviet weaponry. It looked like, hey, we've got them this time. The war was launched on, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day in the Jewish calendar, when Israel is at rest and prayer. So it was a very unfair attack. And this took Israeli defense forces by surprise, and Israeli casualties were heavy. Nevertheless, after only 20 days, Egypt and Syria suffered total military defeat. And once again, God's word was true. His prophetic promises to Israel came to pass. These wartime victories over superior anti-missile technologies are fulfilled prophecy The tiny nation of Israel, get this, is the size of New Jersey and has less than 10 million people, but she still stands unique among the nations. Why is she unique among the nations? Well, the answer is her existence, past, present, and future, is totally mapped out in the word of God. No other nation has such a well-defined timeline of prophecy. Nations come and nations go, but according to the Bible, Israel will never disappear. Isn't that powerful? That is so powerful. So it brings us back to the rebirth of Israel as a nation. As I close in 1948, when Israel was declared a nation again, against all odds, it was the fulfillment of what the prophet Ezekiel had said, quote, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. Now listen to this. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. Amos prophesied. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the way cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. And they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land. I'm gonna say that again. I will plant them upon their land. And they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. God says, I'll bring them back and plant them there and no one is going to uproot them. God has brought them back to stay, regardless of what anybody has to say about it. So in closing, the rebirth of Israel Uh, after 20 centuries, after 20 centuries of dispersion around the world, the rebirth of Israel is to me, the clear and top number one uh, Bible prophecy fulfillment that signals we are in the last days. And so uh, if you wanna know, how can I know we're in the last of the last days? I believe the rebirth of the nation of Israel is your number one sign. I hope this has helped you and blessed you. And I've really enjoyed sharing the word of God with you. I look forward to being with you um, on Sundays and uh, no restrictions anymore. If you wanna wear a mask, you can wear a mask. If you don't want to wear one, you don't have to. We really feel it's time to move on and just trust the Lord and have church. We had wonderful church last Sunday. It was great seeing everybody. We had the biggest crowd we've had since COVID began. So it was very encouraging. And I encourage you to pray about it and say, Lord, is it time for me to come back to church, plug back in because we thank God for online, but online is never going to replace seeing people face to face. So we love you. We're praying for you. God bless you until next time. Amen.